0: Well, we are going to continue today um, with a conversation that we started last week. With Christmas now behind us, we have entered the season of the Epiphany. Season of the Epiphany, which is just a, a remembrance or celebration of the revelation of the Christ child to the Gentiles. Of course, that is most notably demonstrated in that story that The gospel author Matthew tells us in in chapter 2 where those individuals traveling from the east, following the star, looking for this new king who was to be born with the intention of worshiping the Christ child. So with all of that in mind, we are going to be reading today's text from Ephesians 3 where Paul speaks about his mission and ministry to and among the Gentiles. We, of course, find accounts of that ministry throughout the book of Acts. You may recall that story in Acts 18 where Paul, according to his custom, begins his ministry in a city like Corinth. And he begins by first going to the local synagogue to try to connect with folks in the synagogue. And if you remember, on that occasion, it goes badly, his message is rejected. He is reviled, and and he says in that little section, from now on, I am going to the Gentiles. So Paul's mission and ministry is primarily geared towards, focused on the Gentiles. So with that in mind, we are continuing last week's conversation from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if you've been around Solid Rock for more than a year or so you know that just about every january we try to spend some time talking about thinking about who we are as a community or rather who we are hoping to become what what is our purpose what what are we aiming for why do we exist and and we sum all of that up with a, a very simple statement one that is simple enough to remember, keep in mind, and maybe even commit to memory so that we can always remember what we are a part of and how we are hoping to be formed, both as individuals and as a community. So here is that simple statement. As a missional community following the teachings of Jesus, we seek to participate in the restorative work of God in several different ways. By engaging in our surrounding culture, caring about each other's journey, Discovering wholeness and encountering the sacred. Now, obviously, even a cursory reading of that purpose statement reveals that a big part of that purpose is the simple yet fundamental understanding that we are a people on mission. In our purpose statement, this is one of the first things we encounter We are a missional community, or in other words, we are a community of people. We are a church on mission together. Now, today, as we read Ephesians 3, obviously, we're thinking about Paul's mission and his ministry, and obviously, our mission isn't quite as specific. Paul was focused to a very limited group of people. Ours is not that specific, at least not in the same way, and maybe just maybe ours isn't quite as critical in terms of the big picture of salvation history. But I believe that as members of Christ's body, as individuals in the church and as a community gathered around Jesus Christ, we too have been called to mission just as much as Paul, just as much as the other apostles. When when Jesus commissions his followers after His resurrection in Matthew twenty-eight to go and make disciples. Of course, he's speaking directly to his disciples, to that inner group of his followers. But, but I don't think that injunction, at least the implications of that injunction, are limited to that time and place. Because those individuals become sort of these representatives of the church, and their mission, in many ways, is the church's mission. So let's jump right into Ephesians three today as Paul gives us a window into his mission and consider what this might teach us about our mission as members of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul takes a break here momentarily, it seems, from the heavy theological lifting that defined the first couple of chapters of this letter, and here gets a bit autobiographical. So let me tell you a little bit about myself, and and really in telling us more about himself, he is pointing to some incredible realities about the church at large. He begins by saying, I am in prison, yet still on mission. I find that incredible and, and fascinating. I am in prison, yet still on mission to the Gentiles, and my work is to reveal this great mystery. The secret reality that had been hidden from previous generations. Now maybe that sounds a little spooky, right? Or a little illuminati-ish. I don't know, but and when we consider this secret reality, this secret truth, to us it doesn't even seem that secret. It doesn't seem novel at all. This is the the air we live and breathe. This is how we understand our faith. The the secret that had been hidden from previous generations according to Paul is simply that Gentiles which includes most of us in this room, are now fellow heirs. We talked about this last week in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about our adoption as sons and daughters of God and the inheritance that is waiting for us because of that adoption. And it's not just limited to a small group of people. Paul says Gentiles are members of the same body. And Paul, because of this understanding, is intent on going to the Gentiles, engaging individuals contextually, understanding they don't come from a Jewish context, meeting folks where they are, and then clearly communicating his belief that Gentiles have been grafted into the people of God. This is Paul's mission. And in some ways, our mission as the church now, at least part of that mission is quite similar. A big part of our mission as the church and as individuals comprising this community is to publicly demonstrate and communicate clearly these same plans and purposes of God we as the church are a public demonstration and representation of Christ's truth, of his goodness, Christ's beauty, and ultimately the redemption he will bring. And if we first understand our mission through this lens, truly everything in our lives has missional implications. Because everything we do, Everything we say, the way in which we live, how we relate to other people, everything about our lives is demonstrating something about what we really believe about the world, what we believe about our faith in Christ, and demonstrating that to those outside of the community. This means, then, that our understanding of mission how we think about it, and how we approach mission as the church is actually a part of the mission itself. Our approach to mission is not disconnected from the message of mission. Does that make sense? So this is sort of a spin off of that whole idea, that concept in relation to media, that the, the medium is the message. I think there's some overlap here. We cannot disconnect the message from our approach to demonstrating it, our approach to communicating it. So so here are some practical implications for us. For the church and our mission, we must not adopt the assumption that the ends always justify the means. So that it doesn't matter what kind of casualties we leave alongside the road on our way to fulfilling a mission as long as we reach a desired goal, as long as we get to where we hope to be in the end, we're we're good with whatever happens in the meantime. So as a congregation, we, we don't want to engage in our surrounding culture. Again, this is a part of our understanding of mission. We are trying to participate in God's work of restoration. And one of the ways we do that is by engaging with our surrounding culture, by seeking to develop relationships with those outside of the community, to engage with our neighbors. But we, we don't do any of that just to get a particular result. And if our motivation is entirely result-driven, as soon as we determine we aren't going to get the result we want, the tendency is to abandon the relationship and to end the cultural engagement. And personally, I don't think that's what we have been called to in our mission as the body of Christ. We are called by by a hospitable God into a hospitable mission where there is value in the engagement. There is value in the relationship itself. The, The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote this in his work, The Sickness Unto Death. He wrote, everything essentially Christian must have in its presentation a resemblance to the way a physician speaks at the sickbed. And while he's not having the same conversation we're having this morning, I, I do think this thought could be helpful in our conversation about mission. Not that we approach mission as a physician at the sickbed in the sense that we are the healer of everything and that we can fix every problem that folks have, but, but one of the central tasks of Christians is to Understand the situation of another, and then to seek to engage individuals with that understanding in relation to our faith in Christ. So we want to approach conversations like this. We want to approach them gently, graciously, with the hopes of maintaining relationship. However, the conversations about faith turn out in the end. There is value in the engagement in the relationship itself, apart from the conversations about faith. And yet, none of that means that the only appropriate form of mission is one in which no words are ever spoken about Christ. Well, I don't want to have misguided ulterior motives. I don't want to be overbearing. I don't want to be pushy. So I'm just going to keep my deepest held beliefs about my faith to myself. Well, let's continue to read and see how Paul describes his mission and ministry in Ephesians 3. And if you know anything about Paul, you know this was not a struggle he had. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is on mission. By his own admission here, part of that is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. And for Paul, that mission, his mission, is now a part of the church's mission. So when we think about our mission as the body of Christ, we are children of light, the light of the world, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and as Paul says here in Ephesians 3, we are bringing to light, bringing to light the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. The mystery that we looked at last week in Ephesians 1, that all things will be united in Christ. So at its core, Paul's mission, the church's mission, is to shine light on the plans and purposes of our God who rescues humanity. Our mission is not to shine light on ourselves out of a thirst for attention, but to point light to Jesus Christ who rescues humanity. This is the gospel we demonstrate. Theologian Kevin Van Hooser has said this. He said, the church has become the theater of the gospel. And in this theater, there are no passive spectators, only engaged participants acting out what is in Christ. So when we come to Christ, when we enter the church, when we enter the people of God, we join a grand cosmic play. We don't just sit around and watch. By virtue of being a part of the church, we are on mission. We we don't have an option in this. When we enter the community, we join a people who have a mission. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's great for Paul. He had a mission, and that's fine. Or maybe even that's fine for you, Matt. You're a pastor, for goodness sake. I'm not a preacher, so I'm going to leave that to you. I'm just going to try to live my life like Jesus. And to be honest, that's actually a great place to start. Or, Or maybe you're thinking, I don't even like to think about my faith in terms of propositional truths. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a follower of Jesus. And that, too, is fair. Because, of course, our hope as followers of Jesus is not in propositions about Christ, but our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. But but I don't think those are necessarily set in contradiction to one another. Again, Van Hooser went on to say this. He said, Jesus is a person, not a proposition. However, language is the means the Spirit uses to enable the gospel to become the all-encompassing framework that allows disciples not only to think but also to situate themselves in relation to the truth, goodness, and and beauty of what is in Christ. So there's a popular statement. We've talked about it at times before, I think. You'll hear it in the church. It's this, something along the lines of, preach the gospel at all times, right? But when necessary, use words. Often attributed to St. Francis, although you can't find it in his writings or in his sermons, but... He did say things like, make sure that what you're speaking lines up with how you're living, how you're acting, which is, of course, a point that is worth hearing for all of us. But but unfortunately, in my estimation, we have at times latched on to that idea that words are a poor replacement for when it comes to communicating the gospel, words are a poor replacement for how we live. And in many ways, it is true, as the old saying goes, that actions speak louder than words. I get that, and I affirm that, but I don't think that dichotomy between speech and action is necessary, and I don't think it's altogether helpful in the conversation about mission actions, how we go about demonstrating our faith, of course, I think that's the correct place to start. As we think about our mission, we we don't always arrive onto the scene and talking nonstop, making sure that we are heard. As one scholar put it, we, we are existing as the church. We are a living exhibit of the reality of the gospel. So How we live, how we exhibit that in the manner in which we live is critical. That is where mission begins, but I don't think that means that it's where it ends. Because at some point, there is a truth that we have anchored our lives in, the good news that Jesus Christ has entered our world in human flesh, That Jesus Christ lived and showed us how to live. That he died and showed us how we might die to our sin and to ourselves. Jesus Christ was raised to new life, showing us what resurrected life means and what it looks like. We have a message to proclaim that Christ is king and that has changed everything for us. And so one of the things we are hoping is that throughout our lives, we will be transformed into the image and into the likeness of Christ, always with the understanding that anything good in us is not because we are good people, but it's because Christ is in us and changing us. So of course, character, how we live, how we demonstrate the gospel is critically important. But at some point, we we also hope that others recognize the reason we have hope. Who it is that is working in us and changing us. And at times that may require words. Not in a preachy way. I say that as I'm preaching, I, I get that certainly not in a condemning way, not in a high-pressure way, but this is who I am. This is the reality and the truth my life is built upon. And I'd like you to be a part of this family as well. I'd invite you to be a part of this as well. So, so if we boil this down, I, I believe in a mission of demonstration and words. We, we demonstrate, and then at times we speak. I don't think the two are necessarily competing, as though only one of those, either our words or our actions, is ultimately the symbol of faithfulness and mission. And if only one of those is the proper path to faith, well, then the other can be discarded. And, and I'm hoping to say, no, we, we, we can and should both. We, we act, we demonstrate, we live in a particular way, and then at times as the spirit leads, we speak. This is who we are. We are a part of the community gathered around Christ, and that community is on mission. Now, those conversations that we may inevitably have, that speech, probably won't be heard if there's not something compelling about the way we're living, or or even worse, if what we're saying is directly contradicting the way we live. So it is both and. This is who we are. This is how we live. This is how we understand and approach life, and it's all because of Jesus. Because Jesus lived, died, and was raised to life. This is our hope. And we'd like to extend an opportunity for you to become a part of the family. It's not about coercing or forcing or withdrawing kindness if a decision is not made. Our our engagement with culture, our, our friendship is not a carrot that we dangle in front of people with hopes of snatching them up. And if we understand mission in that way, we probably need to start over. We have been called by a relational God who not out of need or not to get something, but simply out of his own hospitable nature created humanity And much of what we are called into as the church, both in relation to those outside of the fold, what we're talking about this morning, and in relation to those within the community, which is where our focus will be next week. But much of what we have been called into as the church is to exhibit that same hospitable nature with which we have been welcomed into the body of Christ talk more about this next week, but at this time, if you'd stand as we prepare to come to the table and respond in faith to our God, who is inviting us, welcoming, expressing hospitality. And I think this table is an incredible symbol of that welcome, and of that hospitality. But as we respond to the invitation of Christ to to meet him in this meal, we also understand that when we respond positively to that invitation, we are then called into a mission to extend, to expand our reach, that we too are to demonstrate that same hospitality with which we have been welcomed. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the table. Lucas, if you'd join me as we prepare the elements. Gracious Lord, drawing the Magi to worship Jesus procures for us your wide mercy. Now we see how in Jesus... You have gone public with your generous promises for all people. Forgive our easily narrowed hearts and equip us with widened imaginations to promiscuously proclaim the promise of the gospel to every culture, nation, and people. Amen. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning as we respond to the invitation of Christ it is not our invitation to extend it is Christ offering his invitation would you join us